0: Turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, the 27th chapter. As you're turning there, if you need a Bible, there is a gentleman by the name of Joe that's passing out the Bible, and uh, you are welcome uh, to take a Bible. If uh, you do not own your own the Bible that you raise your hand for uh, can be yours, and you take that home. And uh, so Acts 27, we're going to be talking about an experience in the Paul, uh, Apostle Paul's life and, and prayerfully drawing some, um, uh, some personal things to it and draw some truths of Scripture from it that can apply even right now, no matter where any of us are at. But as I approached this uh, passage, um, I had uh, started out the service with uh, with Philippians 3. And I thought to myself, um, you know, okay, so Paul is saying, I hold on to that which has taken a hold of me. And I press on forward. And I had three questions that came up. I don't know if you do. Uh, I think sometimes we view uh, people in the scripture we're obviously not reading it well, but we view people in the scripture and even Christians as though, you know, once Jesus Christ is in your life, everything is easy and everything is great, we're blessed, and everything goes smooth, amen? <laughs> and, uh, but sometimes we do, so, so when I approach scripture, I, I ask myself some questions, and what I, what I did is I said, okay, does the Apostle Paul really have the right to say this, that in this life that he's holding on to which, that, which has taken hold of him? So my first question is, is this biblical? Is this biblical that this Christian life is not easy and that we need to hold fast to that which is holding on to us? Um, And so I, I, I did a search in God's word and I found Deuteronomy 30 that says this, the 19th through the 20th says, now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and what? Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. I think sometimes we can sometimes feel like he's fighting against us, and, he, and we're fighting against him so much, we really believe that he is our life, that our life is a threat, and, and, and he's holding on to us for very reasons so that we know him. Uh, Psalm 118, uh, says this, Hold fast to your statutes, Lord. I hold fast to your statutes. Do not let me be put to shame. And then Isaiah 56, 2 and 4, Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds, holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, keeps their hands from doing any evil, and who chooses to do what pleases me and holds fast to my command." So this is a biblical concept that the Apostle Paul has, has grabbed a hold of. And I think we should too. It's holding fast to that which is holding fast to us. So does Paul know what he's talking about in his own life, as his own experience? So the Lord's own words about his life when he called Ananias to go and to, um, to lay his hands on him. Uh, the Lord said this to to, him, to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Listen to this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now there's winning, friends. If you're not a believer today, guess what? God wants you to join him, receive Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior because he wants you to suffer for him. Huh. Huh. So I think he knows what he's talking about. And third is this question what, Is this what Paul taught the new growing church? Because what he learned, he teaches to those that God calls him to. And so um, I want to, if, if you're at 27, I want you to go to Acts 14 with me. Acts 14. And uh, this is in this passage, uh, we're going to read uh, 21 through uh, 23 Acts 14. Uh, he is on his first uh, missionary journey. He's coming back to Antioch in Syria, a church that has that has, has begun to grow, and he's coming in to do some things uh, there. And so it says this in the 21st verse: they preach the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now listen to what he says. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. We must go through many hardships. Now, of course, we would say, well, of course, in that time, it was a, it was a growing faith that was happening amongst the Gentiles, and so there would have been a natural persecution that would have been g- broken out because they were on enemy's territory. They were on enemy's ground, and the, and the enemy would not take this sitting down. He would come against it. And he did. All the churches he came against. But guess what? In America, we're on enemy's ground. And it's a growing ground. It's a growing ground. And it's going to get tougher. And for us who have been in church most of our life, it's not something we've learned. You must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is he not saying? He's not saying that, that somehow we can earn our salvation. We all know that is only through faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can enter into the great salvation of our Lord and Savior. No other way. So he's not saying that. It's not like we're earning our way to salvation here. It's an important thing. A lot of people that are trying to do that, I I hear often, I'm I'm trying harder. I'm trying. I'm trying. You know what? I get the whole trying, but that's a response. It's not the entrance. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about here? First, he's talking personally. That as a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the battles that you are going to take up is against your own sin. Before that, you were a victim to it. You were burdened by it. You were just underneath its load in your life. But as a believer now, you have authority in Jesus Christ to overcome sin. But it's going to be a battle. And it's going to be a lifelong battle. If you don't believe that, then you haven't read this word. Second of all, culture. You are going to battle against the enemy's ground. You are going to battle against culture. And come on. Um, I told a friend of mine who's a math teacher, I said, I said um, did you know that math um, is a white supremacy issue? It's a white supremacy issue. And so they're moving to change math so that we can get rid of white supremacy. So how would you like them being your banker? Yeah, Yeah, one plus one equals a half. Sorry, we get the other half. Strangest thing I've ever read. Two plus two is no longer four. Because that's supremacy. Strangest thing I've ever heard, but it's happening. And it is a wave that's going through our culture, and it's time for the Christian world to realize that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be going against the wind of culture. And third, and this one has to be explored, third is the battle for the human soul. Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. You being a representative of Jesus Christ, your call is to share the gospel with people so that his salvation in a supernatural way can change the heart of a person that is led and driven by sin. It's their nature to be transformed and changed into a brand new person, and he has only one only one, only one person to do it, you. There will be a day that angels will proclaim the gospel, but that will be in the end time, and it will be an indictment over a church that has not shared the good news. But today is your call whether you're at work, whether you're at a gas station, anywhere. And yes, people listen to me. It's a war. Yes, it is, because the enemy doesn't want to let go of what they have a hold of. It's going to be a war. And so the Apostle Paul has every right to tell us and to talk to us about this. So as we come now to uh, uh, chapter 27, let's first just briefly hear a bit of a historical context. Paul is um, returns from his third missionary journey with money to support the believers in Jerusalem. He was going to meet with the leaders there. There was a famine, and so he had raised money all over the world at that time for those people. As he went to Jerusalem the Spirit continued to testify that that there would be something that was coming that was going to be trouble. In fact, in Acts 20, 22 through 23, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul is arrested in Jerusalem and faces the religious leaders. It was in Jerusalem... Uh, One night that the Lord spoke to him and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Because of a plot in his life, he was secretly uh, transferred uh, to Caesarea uh, via uh, Roman Uber. And, um, and he was in, when he was in Caesarea, he testified before uh, Felix, the governor of, uh, of the uh, Judean era territory, and also Festus, who replaced Felix, uh, who then was the governor. And it was during that time that he said to Festus, when Festus came to him and said, would you go back to Jerusalem to be tried? He said, I appeal to Caesar. And so uh, in front, uh, when Festus and Agrippa had gotten together, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Fascinating. Fascinating. So can you already hear, even coming up to this passage, the the context of the fact that the Apostle Paul needed to hold on to that which was holding on to him? I hope so. I hope you can hear it. Maybe some of your own lives um, are in the same place. You're in a decision time. You're, you're making a decision. There's been a sin in your life. There's been, there's been um, something that you have been conforming to in the culture. There has, there's somebody that the Lord keeps laying on your heart that you should be sharing the gospel with. And he's saying, okay, hold on. Hold on to that which is holding on to you. And so as we get into verse 1 of 27, and I'm not going to read all 44 verses, so uh, we don't have to worry about that. We, that would take a while. Uh, but as we get into verse 1, I want you to notice something that I just jumped out at me, and that is this. It says in verse 1, um, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Now, remind me again who told uh, Paul, that he was going to Rome. The Lord did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lord did. The Lord told him, and uh, that's an important point that I think we need to remember, because uh, Psalm one hundred thirty nine sixteen says this: "All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be." Unbelief says this. God, you're the cause of all my trouble. Belief says, in the midst of the trouble, you are my God leading me. See, the variable is not trouble. The variable is our response to trouble. Jesus said in Psalm um, 1633, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Yes, yes. And so, as you read that, as you, you see how behind the scene that's going on, um, just just let that move your heart. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your soul. But can you truly believe that nothing happens in your life without the Lord moving you? And he's, what did you sing? The, the Lord is, he is constant, he's always good, and he's sovereign. If you separate any one of those, you're missing who the Lord really is. I know that your troubles are not good, but he is good in the midst of them. And so as we move through verse 2 through verse 8, we see that they set sail and that they go out and it says in verse 7 that they, they made slow headway for many days and had difficulty. In verse 8 it says, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fairhaven. So why is there so much resistance? What's going on here? It's because the line of Judah was moving Paul strategically in place against the prince of the air. You see, the Caesar line Who ruled from 31 BC to 68 AD um, was called a cult because the Caesars believed that they were God. And so they, they they, they called their people to worship them as God. And so Paul was coming face to face with a demonized human being who thought him to be in the place of Elohim, the God of the universe. And so I don't know if you, as I thought about this, I don't know if you remember a story in Jesus' day in which they were sailing on a ship and all of a sudden it became violently, uh, waves became violent and the disciples thought the boat was going to be destroyed. And what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Sometimes we feel like God is sleeping in our life. Sometimes we feel like he's not really there. But guess, remember what happened? Jesus woke up and said, Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> oh, you, little, of you of little faith. And then he just said, peace. And it calmed down. But it isn't interesting that he was on the way to the Decapolis to meet a demonized man. The enemy doesn't want to let go. And so I, I remember one time I equated that storm as a demonic storm, that he was trying to stop Jesus from going because he had a sense of what was going to happen. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but you know we don't think of things in spiritual ways. We think of things physically. We're drawn to think of that way. And so this is a story of spiritual warfare in Paul's life. Paul was walking or sailing into the demonic lion's den, and they were not happy. And so what happens uh, when that happens? Ephesians 6 tells us this, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take the stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is not a flesh and blood issue. This is a spiritual issue that Paul's sailing to. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so he says, therefore, put on the armor of God. And it starts out, I think it's interesting, it starts out with a belt of truth. We need truth in our life. Have you been living a lie? Then turn to the truth. A belt of truth. And then it says that uh, the breastplate of righteousness, meaning that Jesus Christ has become our righteousness from heaven. He's our righteousness with shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. We're not going into a war with an angry warfare look. We're going through with peace of the gospel. Our life has been changed. You know, as as a parent, um, I often tell other parents, you know, when your child does something wrong, you don't have to get mad. You stay calm. You tell them what they've done. You discipline them what they do. Screaming does not help. We don't have to go into this world screaming. We need to go into this world with the gospel of peace. Because honestly, even maybe in the midst of us, there are those who are not at peace. And they need peace. They need peace. And so so the shoes fit with the gospel of peace. And then shield of faith. that will take the fiery darts out. The helmet of salvation I know in whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he can keep that life of mine in his grasp until that day. Wayne's translation. But isn't it true? What confidence that Paul had, what confidence we can have that in salvation he's holding on to us, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As we continue our story, uh, we go on to um, 9 and through 12. It says that, Uh, Much time has been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, so that would be the end of September, the beginning of October. So listen to this. Uh, A non-seaworthy person, a non-sailor, Paul stands up and warns them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, listening, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Uh, this was a harbor in Crete facing the southwest and northwest. And so in the midst to hold on is to hold on uh, to hard truth. I love the fact that, Paul um, didn't try to gloss over what was happening. He'd try to make it out to be fake. Uh, the voyage was disastrous, great ship lost, cargo, and lives. When God calls us to face the storms, He isn't interested in people who try to appear spiritual by being fake or cover up the hardship with false happiness. Paul says these words in the light of the truth that says in Proverbs 20, uh, 10, 25, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Notice it doesn't say that the righteous does not have storms. It means when the storm sweeps by, the righteous are standing. And so it's the storms that, tr- that truly do show the righteous Someone might be saying, I have no idea what Pastor Wayne is talking about right now. <laughs> Maybe it's because you've never let God lead you to take the gospel and walk forward. Maybe you've kept it to yourself. And you've just, you've just decided that, hey, you know, I, I have my own comfort, my own life, my own, my own existence. But I'm telling you what, if you'll dare to take the gospel out, if you'll dare to face your sin if you will dare to face the culture and stand in the in the light of lies and sell, tell the truth if you dare to share the gospel with somebody you will know what i'm talking about immediately hard truth it's sometimes difficult to face It's sometimes difficult to face. But Paul did, and I so appreciate it. As they go on, uh, verse 13 through 19, just summarizing it, there's a gentle wind, and so they figure it's time to go. And as they're, as they're out of the port and going, all of a sudden a northeastern hits, kind of a hurricane force. So strong that they couldn't control the ship. And so they had to just give way to the wind. I don't know if some of you sometimes feel like you have to give way to what's going on in your life. They pass ropes under the ship because it feels like it's falling apart, and they lower the sea anchor so that they don't run aground somewhere because they don't know where they're going. They took such a beating that they threw even the, the ship's tackle over the ship. But as we come to verse 20, It's interesting, and I know that we've gotten here. It says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, this is interesting because we're being introduced to somebody. Do you know who it is? When he says we, who's talking here? It's the writer. Who's the writer of of Acts? Yeah, Luke. Yeah, it's uh, I just as I as I've thought about this and studied, I realized that the first 13, 12 chapters of Acts, Luke was a was kind of he, he did his study and he got the information, and he wrote it down. But from thirteen to the end of the book of Luke, he's on board with Paul. He's walking with Paul. He's living with Paul. He's living these experiences out. Um, who would like to be there with Paul right now? In in a hurricane? Anybody? I mean. Yeah, and so um, and so, hold on to hopelessness. Hold on in the midst of hopelessness, sorry. Hold on in the midst of hopelessness. Um, that is what they were doing. As Luke was an eyewitness of this and Paul says, if, and this is it, if you follow Jesus Christ, there are going to be times of hopelessness. That hopelessness is going to want to try to come into your life and try to take you over. But that is the reason why 182 times in Scripture, the Lord says hope because he realizes there's going to be times of hopelessness. There may be a physical thing that you go through. Hold on to hope in the midst of hopelessness. Listen. None of us are interested if you're going to walk around and say, well, I've never experienced hopelessness in my life. Like, I have to look so spiritual that I have never experienced times in my life where I have struggled against hopelessness. That is a lie. It's a lie. In the time of hopelessness, hold on to the hope of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this: that your word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. Excuse me. Excuse, no, no, that's not where I'm going. Um, and <laughs> that's the next one. Um, Romans eight tells us that that which we see is not what gives us hope; it's what we don't see. It's what we don't see. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because how many decisions haven't we made as people, listen to me, people, haven't we made as people making decisions on what we thought we would be given hope in if we would own that item, have that guy or gal, or have that profession, or on and on the story goes? How many? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. It, it, it's the very foundation of Addiction. Because we go into addiction thinking that if we follow through with that, if we have that drink, if we have that pornography, if we have that, that that will bring hope into our life. That's the very reason why you keep moving into that. But the Bible says that does not bring you hope. What brings you hope is what you cannot see, which you do not have yet on this earth. So our hope is in the one who has given life for us through the death on the cross. That is our hope, solely in Christ. No, you can't see him today. He's a wind. His spirit is a wind. Blows, but we can see the effect of the trees. I don't know if you remember a devotion that recently was read, but there was uh, somebody that, uh, and I won't mention who it is, but her initials are Sue Andersma, but she, uh, she wrote this devotion saying that she was watching trees, And there was these trees that were swaying back and forth to the wind. And she noticed those were the ones with the leaves on them. But there was one tree, a big tree, that was dead. And it didn't move to the wind. And it's true. Is your hope in the Lord? Is his wind able to move you so that you can decide to follow him even when in the midst of your decision... In the midst of your decision, it feels like it's hopeless. That's faith. That's what faith does. So let's continue on with them. And so verse, uh, go with me to verse 21 uh, through 26. As they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not sailed to Crete. From Crete, Then you would have spared yourselves in this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be de- lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of, God, of the Lord of God uh, to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God will graciously give you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In the midst of the storm, hold on to the word of God. Hold on to the word of God. It says, I have faith in God, Paul says, that it will happen just as he told me. The exactness of God's word is the courage and faith to stand the ground that God has called us to. I always notice this, even with believers, that when things start to go awry, I'll ask them one simple question. How are you in the word? And 100% across the line, they'll say, yeah, not, uh, not been in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And somebody once so profoundly said, duh. Duh. I don't know why I said that. Uh, now, I have never had an angel come to me and talk to me. Um, but I have the word of God convict me. Once in a while, I have a still small voice that speaks to my soul. And even less, someone coming to me with a word from the Lord. But scripture tells me that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That means it gives me vision to be able to ne- take the next step. And it gives me a light that no matter where my future seems to go, there is a hope, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I pray that today, that you will hold on in the midst of your storms uh, to the word of God. A song says this, all the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask besides? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Do you have that confidence? Do you have that belief? Are you in God's word that you hear that? I pray that you are. As we continue on, it's the 14th night. And the sailors sensed that a land was near. And so they took a sounding and found it to be 120 feet deep. They took another sounding and found it to be 90 feet deep. So they dropped the four anchors and prayed for daylight. I love that. Prayed for daylight. And as we come into that, verse 30, if you'd go with me on that, it says this. In verse 30 to 32, an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, prevent Preventing, uh, pretending, sorry, they, uh, they, they were going to lower some anchors uh, from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers, taking his advice, cut the ropes and held, that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Hold on to living at the center of God's will. There is something that I've noticed as a pastor that fear drives people to do things all the time. Fear of loneliness, fear of the future, fear of the pain, fear, fear, fear. And what it does is it moves them from where they're supposed to be to somewhere they don't belong. And I've, I've often uh, said this um, to um, uh, in talking about Elijah, you remember what, what God said to Elijah after he'd run for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hidden up in the rock? He said, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Hold on to the center will of God. Joshua, talking to the Israelites about the second time they had come to the, the land they had been promised, said to them this, said to them, be strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or left. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Are we living in a time that we need to hold fast uh, to the center will of God? Absolutely. In a time where uh, bakers have been brought to trial because they refuse to use their gift set to promote evil in a culture that no longer upholds truth, but truth is struggling in the seat in, in, in the street, and honesty doesn't even make it to the courtrooms anymore. We need to hold on to the center will of God for each and every one of us. You know, I get the fact that sometimes uh, we feel like a ship that is breaking apart. But Jesus has called us not to abandon the ship, but to stand steady and to watch Him hold it together. This is a time to stand our ground for Jesus. The enemy has been killing, stealing, and destroying too long. It's time for us to stand our ground in the center of His will. Are you in the center of God's will today? Does he have every right to speak over your life and tell you what to do and where to go? Somebody once reminded me that the fact that, that in, in American Christianity we have built this, this false dichotomy that somehow um, we, can, we can have Jesus on the throne at times in our life and then we can be on our thrones at times in our life. And Jesus and then us. That's a false reality. It doesn't exist. Either he is king of your life or he is not king at all. And I know that's a harsh word and there's some today that might be thinking he hasn't been king in my life in the last year or two. Consider, consider my friend. It is the gospel peace that comes to you not in anger, not with eyes that hate but with eyes that love and care and desire you and your life. Hold on in the center of God's will. And then keep going with me. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, it's interesting. there was 276 uh, people on board at that time. and it says when they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Talk about a last meal. Hold on to courage. Hold on to courage. Courage is really seen in the one who's willing to take the first step. Jesus says to each one of us, follow me. He's the one that took the first step. His step was to the cross. He's calling us to step into that surrendered life before him. He's taken the abuse, but he's calling us to surrender to him and to follow him. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take, take denying yourself. It's going to take taking up your cross whatever he's called you to do whatever it is step into it and to follow him every day to follow him every day i i fear that some never understand the power of this faith because they've never taken the step into courage that it takes to walk into it but i am telling you you take the step god will show you he's enough Hebrews 3, 6 says, But Jesus is faithful as son over at God's house, and we are his house if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. The church of Jesus Christ needs courage to walk forward today. There's a lot of things trying to pull us apart. There's a lot of things that try to hold us in separation of each other. But I am telling you, if you'll take the courage to walk in faith, we take the courage as a family to walk in faith, we will see a great work of God. But it takes courage. And like the Apostle Paul, who was willing to stand up in front of them, give thanks to God, and to eat that to encourage others, we need people like that today because there are people that are just absolutely afraid. They're living life afraid. Verse uh, 39 41 tells us that the sailors saw land they didn't know. They cut the anchors, hoisted the foresail, and made for the, the beach, but the, the boat was grounded before they got there, and it was torn apart. But every single one of them survived, just as God said. So hold on to God's wisdom. The Bible tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of god and that the fear of man is a snare a wise man once said truth is not always logical and man's logic is not always true it seemed logical to the soldiers to kill the pa- to kill the prisoners because they knew that they would lose their life if any prisoner escaped it seemed logical but it wasn't true because they didn't hold on to God's word. He said everybody would be saved, and they were. Jesus said this to his disciples who, who believed what he said. If you, if you hold to the truth, the truth will set you free. You're really my disciples, and the truth will set you free. It's true. We're being driven by a lot of logic that is not true. So you have to work out of your own logic and realize that the real truth is found in surrendering to the wisdom of God. Second Thessalonians 2.15 says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So as we come to the end of the story, I pray that you have been challenged in your own life Uh, That you're living not just a physical battle, but you're in a spiritual battle. And that God is calling you to hold on. Hold on. Hold on in the midst of hard truth. Hold on in the midst of hopelessness. Hold on to God's word. Hold on and stay in the center will of God. Don't move. And hold on to courage and to God's wisdom in the midst of a world that is living in foolishness. Paul proclaimed, uh, his faith in 2 Corinthians 4 7 uh, through 9. He said this But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all the surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. In a group this size, I'm sensitive to the truth that there are storms raging. I've had storms in my life. If you're in a storm right now um, with unbelief, you're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. If you're in a storm uh, with a passive faith, you feel stuck. If you're in a storm with strong faith, you're moving forward on shaky legs. You are. I get it. I get it. But you're moving forward. God has a plan and purpose for our lives.